0: This is a podcast by the Straits Times. We have to realize that our weather has changed so much over the past 50 years or even more. I remember waking up in the morning when I was a little girl in the 80s. It was foggy and there was dew everywhere. I was even told by an ex director general of our own uh, meteorological department it used to snow in Fraser's Hill back in the 1920s. we wait for 2022, to worry about an impending climate crisis, it's a bit too late. Climate crisis is already here.
1: Welcome to Green Pulse, a podcast series by The Straits Times, where we analyse the beats of the changing environment, from biodiversity conservation to climate change. I'm your host Audrey Tan, and I cover science and environment for The Straits Times. My co-host is David Fogarty. Hi,
0: I'm David and I'm the Climate Change Editor at The Straight Time.
1: Since 2019, the Green Pulse podcast has highlighted key issues about our environment, from the wonderful wildlife that share our planet to the biodiversity and climate emergencies we face today. Usually, we speak to scientists and experts. But what does the climate crisis mean for people in Asia? One of the regions of the world most vulnerable to the changing weather patterns
0: As we welcome in the new year, our colleagues in bureaus across Asia spoke with people living in Malaysia, China, Thailand, India, the Philippines, and Singapore to get their thoughts on the climate crisis. Let's have a listen on what they think life will be like in
1: 2022. Hi, my name is Asinan Almond. I'm 49 years old, living in Bangkok. Definitely, my respiratory-related diseases would be worsened because of the amount of dust and carbon emissions in the city residences where we live. We can't get fresh air anymore in the urban area. The temperature is rising every year. We have to constantly live in, in air conditioning spaces. So I worry
2: about you know, what uh, climate is going to be like in 2022. Because we've seen so much of uh, drastic weather changes this year, and next year's, I don't know, with with flash floods and droughts and all of that, it's going to spell doom for agriculture in many ways. And for a country like ours, which thrives on it, it could be devastating.
3: I think in 2022, the climate crisis would more or less be similar to what it is now, if not worse. um, Because there are a lot of things that we are still doing that is detrimental to the environment. Um, which are obviously very high uh, in their carbon footprints and stuff like that. I work with local communities whose livelihoods depend on environment, and increasingly, we are seeing how unseasonal weather patterns in coastal areas, soil erosion, as well as floods can literally destroy sources of income for members of these communities. Now, these events are often a consequence of man-made actions, and I think what we will see in 2022 is more and more communities will be at risk of losing their livelihoods and immediate action needs to be taken to mitigate long-term, irreparable damage to the environment.
0: Climate change is not just an environmental problem. As we have heard, those on the front lines of the crisis are bearing the brunt of the problem. But they, too, have hoped that things can improve.
2: The the emissions of uh, pollutants in the air will significantly uh, decrease if there are
3: uh, increase of renewable projects, especially in the country. I'm I'm hopeful, uh, but it it will take a, a, a large political will.
1: Well, I think the year 2021 was a critical year for climate policy and diplomacy. And I believe in 2022, more events will be held to shape critical conversations and influence public policy decisions. So I am optimistic about the climate change in the future.
3: We must intensify our campaign uh, to ensure that uh, from the household, we've already segregated our waste so that uh, there are less and less um, waste going to our landfills that are no longer recyclable, that are no longer reusable. And then, of course, uh, another policy uh, that we can look into is that uh, we must encourage uh, more local governments or even the national government, private sector, to invest in uh, renewable energy.
0: As a community, we have to come together, do it. That's how we can improve it at the smaller level and get it done at the bigger level as Okay, so you don't think it'll improve next year? <laughs> Until unless we... No, no, no next year I don't see it because these changes doesn't happen so quick. It's a long-term change and it will take time but it has to start somewhere.
3: I am optimistic that public and private institutions are waking up to the importance of environmental, social and governance or ESG in the work that they do and how they conduct their businesses the mainstreaming of ESG charts a path forward that perhaps may not entirely solve the problems of climate change, but will certainly be a move in the right direction for many.
1: The climate crisis is our reality. And for 2022, I hope for more empathy, inclusivity and diversity as we have difficult conversations on the decisions that need to be made. I hope we also have honest and nuanced communication about what climate action means for us all.
2: us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode.
1: It is the 21st of December. This year, climate change has made its mark across the world, from wildfires in California to floods in China and rising temperatures globally. Will the situation worsen in 2022? Today, we discuss the climate crisis with someone witnessing the impacts firsthand. Mr. Joy Singhal, the Head for Disaster, Climate and Crisis at the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies.
2: Thanks, Joy, for joining us today. Thank you, Audrey. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
1: So, Joy, maybe we can get started by telling us more about what you have seen in 2021. Are the impacts of climate change getting worse? And which countries in Asia do you think are suffering the most?
2: Yes, so, Audrey, it's, it's, uh, if you had asked me this question almost 10 years ago, then it would have been very difficult for me to answer in terms of whether uh, the disasters that we are seeing uh, in this year or in the previous year is a result of climate change or not. At this particular point of time, this year, I mean, we can be reasonably certain that the increased disasters that we are seeing in this year, for example, we are already responding to about 16 emergencies, which are a direct result of climate change. And so we are seeing increased flooding. We are seeing increased typhoon. I mean, right now, we are responding to typhoon rye in the Philippines, and we are seeing that the intensity and frequency of typhoons is increasing. So and we can very clearly understand that the result of climate change or the increased global warming is resulting into these significant severe climate hazards, which are then resulting into a lot of people getting affected every, every year. This year, for example, or if to take some statistics, we are already seeing about 57 million people across Asia Pacific having been affected by by disasters that we are responding to. And if we are looking at globally, we are talking about at least 139 million people who have been affected by floods, droughts, storms, wildfires. So, so in that sense, I mean, we are already seeing that the significant uh, impact of global warming is resulting into increased intensity, is resulting into increased frequency of flooding, of extreme weather events, of uh, uh, extreme heat waves, of typhoons that are resulting into great many humanitarian crises that the Red Cross is responding to.
1: So Joy, you know, you are the head of Disaster Climate and Crisis at the Red Cross. And you must have seen countless of disasters or responded to countless of disasters across Asia. Tell us about one particular incident that stood out for you.
2: Audrey, it's, it's difficult to put a finger on one incident. There are so many that we are responding to. And I can tell you right from Afghanistan, which is, which is actually facing significant drought for the past few years. Almost 23 million people in Afghanistan right now are suffering from massive drought. This year, we have seen in South Asia, which was the worst affected region across Asia Pacific, where India alone experienced almost 80 million people having been affected by flooding. In Bangladesh, again, we have seen significant amount of people who have been displaced because of flooding. You're talking about Myanmar. In Myanmar, there was flooding. There was a a coup in Myanmar this year. And, and on top of that, there has been the COVID pandemic. And right now, we are seeing uh, in, in the Philippines significant amount of damage that has been caused by Typhoon Rai. And then I have not even spoken about the Pacific Island so far, small island countries which are seeing significant sea level rise that could affect the existence of many island states. So, so Audrey. It's very difficult for me to pinpoint one crisis because all the crises are extreme in nature and they are resulting into and affecting a lot many people that we are working with. Still, if I have to say one thing, then I would suggest that I would I would say that in, in Myanmar, for example, this year, in one particular area in the state of Rakhine, where we had significant flooding and typhoon and cyclone that was going to be affecting that area. I was worried because there were already a lot of people who were affected by conflict and were displaced. They were already suffering from COVID. And then on top of that, we were experiencing this potential cyclone that was going to be affecting those communities. They were already staying in makeshift tents and shelters. They were already not having enough food and water which was safe for them to be surviving on. They were already having health problems. And then on top of that, we were seeing this extreme climate event, which could have resulted into even significant level of humanitarian crisis. So this is just one example, Audrey, of what many other communities are facing, again, in the context that I've mentioned, Afghanistan, India, Bangladesh, Myanmar, Pacific Islands, Philippines now, Indonesia. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's challenging and, and the risks are increasing Every day, actually.
1: So climate change and the impacts of climate change are already making vulnerable communities that are facing healthcare disasters, military disasters, much worse than what is expected.
0: That's correct. So we are seeing people are being pushed to the edge. So just on that point then, if things are getting worse, then what's your outlook for next year, for 2022? And I presume the Red Cross is bracing for more disasters, and I guess that's going to stretch... Your resources even more that's correct David, uh, David uh, see next year again this year
2: we are already facing Alnina I don't know if you are aware of that phenomena but in Nino, what happens is that you would be embracing you would be looking for increased intensity of rainfall and that is affecting southern hemisphere so we are looking at the Pacific Island countries we are looking at areas around Australia which would be experiencing heavy level of rains this year and until middle of next year. So that's one disaster that we are already monitoring and we are seeing impacts of that this year already. At the same time, next year, we would be still expecting possibly greater intensity of droughts in certain parts of South Asia. As, as we saw this year, In in so right now, I was just mentioning to you Afghanistan is facing drought, 22 million people affected by drought. This year, as well, we have responded to a flood response in, in Afghanistan. So what we are seeing is that in same context, in one particular season, we are having increased flooding. And then after a few months, we are having droughts. So we are seeing different, completely opposite spectrum of disasters in the same context with same communities. And that is making them even more difficult to survive in that context. So outlook for next year, Nino is going to be increasing rainfall. We are expecting another level of drought. We are also expecting increased frequency of uh, uh, typhoons and cyclones in South Asia and Southeast Asia. Now, what are we doing about it? We are investing into anticipatory action, David. So what we are doing is that we are already using science-based forecasting models to tell the communities an early warning, early action type of scenario that if we are telling them in advance that you would be facing this particular crisis, they can evacuate from, from those uh, uh, places, for example. We are also investing into drought-resistant crops, for example, David. So we are helping the communities to have sustainable agricultural practices. We are, we, so, so there are two things that we do, David, apart from anticipatory action for disaster response. We help the communities to adapt to their existing climate risks. And by adaptation, what we do is we help them to diversify their cropping patterns. We help them to engage into alternative livelihood opportunities. So we give them skills-based training. And we also do mitigation measures. So we help them to reforest the areas where a lot of deforestation has happened. We help them to construct dikes onto the seafronts or onto riverbanks which prevents flooding from inundating their agricultural lands. So, and at the same time, we also then look at anticipatory action in terms of disaster response. So we are helping the communities to cope with the disaster threats so that even if the disaster does happen, it does not create greater vulnerability for already vulnerable population groups. So a lot of time, what we do from the Red Cross is response is only one of the options that we can use. We have to invest into longer term sustainable solutions for these communities so that disaster response is not required every year and they are able to manage their lives on their
0: own. And just a, a final question that in your line of work, how do you experience or, or deal with uh, eco-anxiety? What's, what's, what's the best way to cope with this, right? Because if things are getting worse, there must be a, a growing sense of helplessness, I suppose.
2: No, uh, David, there is, there is. And, and, and not just, uh, not just uh, uh, because of climate change. I mean, the past two years have been extremely difficult also because of the pandemic. I mean, they have resulted into a lot of mental health issues, not just within uh, myself personally, but also within my team and the communities that we work with. But, David, I think there is hope and I think we all live on hope. And and what I can tell you right now is that we have seen that even though disasters are increasing in their frequency and intensity, we are at the same time seeing that there are much less deaths because of the disasters that are happening. And that gives us hope. So to take an example, David, Bangladesh is a clear case in point where in the 1970s, for the same type of disaster, we could see almost half a million deaths. In the past 10 years, for the same type of disasters, we will be seeing deaths, for example, in tens or thousands. And that, that significant improvement in terms of our ability to save lives after a large onset disaster is because of our ability to have made that investment into people's abilities to cope. In terms of our investment in helping them to evacuate through early warning, early action systems. In terms of our abilities to have cyclone shelters being built into place properly that are now being used. So what I tell myself and my team is that there is hope at the end of the day. We all can contribute. We all can contribute and reduce the impact of climate change even, for example, by switching off the electricity into my office when I leave the day at the end of the day, even by seeing that we are not taking enough long-haul flights, even by seeing that I am using a bicycle and I'm not taking a motor car every day to my work, I'm contributing bit by bit to reduce the impact of climate change. And that's what gives me hope, David. And hope is what helps me to reduce my anxiety.
1: So basically, Joy, would that be your tip for other people as well? I mean, yes, the climate crisis and the scale of the climate crisis is ginormous. But if each of us were to act within our own sphere of influence, every every little matter counts, every little action counts.
2: Absolutely, Audrey. Absolutely. And that's spot on. See, why did the climate crisis happen in the first place? It happened because all of us from an individual level have contributed to it. And in the same time, how can the climate crisis end? We all have a responsibility to contribute our bit, small by small, to reduce the impact. We are all using fossil fuels. All the oil companies are being said that they are responsible for it. But actually, at an individual level, we are responsible for it. And I think that's where it matters. We have to change our behavior. We can all contribute to reducing the impact of climate change. We have a responsibility.
1: Thank you, Joy, for sharing your thoughts with us. And thank you for the work that you do. Thank you,
2: Audrey, for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you, Joy. That was very good.
0: Thank you. Thank you David. And special thanks to our colleagues, Danson Chong in China, Lubashi Gupta and Namala Ganapathy in India, Raul Dansel in the Philippines, Shannon Jio in Malaysia, and Tan Hui
1: in Thailand. Well, that's a wrap for Green Pulse, and we hope you enjoyed our discussion. For more on climate change and the environment, do check out our stories in the Straits Times. And don't forget to subscribe to our Green Pulse podcast series on your favorite audio apps Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts.
2: That was a podcast by the Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcastsph.com.sg.